You may as well just lie there, Lisa. Because let's face it, you're not going to actually accomplish anything today now, are you? Remember yesterday? Disappointing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wear that. Maybe I'll actually notice you today. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's go get underpaid for a job that no one cares about at all. Ether. Say, cabbie, corner of mediocrity and humdrum, please, and step on it. I'm looking to get nowhere fast. Here we are, home of the drab, into the dark abyss. Well, maybe today will be your day. Probably not. showed a, a picture last week of Homer Simpson with a little angel figure, looked like Homer Simpson on one shoulder, and a little devil figure, looked like Homer Simpson dressed in red, on the other shoulder. And uh, Simpsons depict this kind of dialogue that we, many of us, can relate to. This, this, these, these competing voices that compete for our attention and also for our response. And Popular media has actually often depicted those voices as being the voices of, of good versus evil or of, of right versus wrong. And, and I think that can be true sometimes. You know, shoplift, don't shoplift. Cheat on your tax return, don't cheat on your tax return. You know, these are, these are a competing dialogue. But I actually think there's far more at stake than just the dialogue between right and wrong. The dialogue is often the dialogue between us achieving our God-given destiny or not. And I made this statement last week, the voice we respond to will determine the future we experience. This is a massive truth that we need to understand. The, the voice we respond to will determine the future we experience. Last week, however, the good news that I also made sure those of you that were here understood, is that God has given us the power to choose not only which voice we listen to. See, see, some of us, if we've got these voices, somehow, you know, this chatterbox, the enemy, who's, who's in our ear all day, every day, in our head all day, every day, some of us have been led to believe that we are powerless when it comes to that voice. That that voice, because it's incessant, and it is, that we, we're somehow victims, we're somehow powerless. And God reminds us that that, that that voice will play on endless loop all day, every day. Yes, absolutely. You can't turn it off. In fact, the more you want to lean into God's destiny for you, the louder that voice will get because the devil always attacks what God anoints. If God gives you an assignment, the devil wants to stop you achieving that assignment. 
But we have the God-given power both to choose the voice we listen to and not just the voice we listen to, we also have the God-given power to choose the voice we respond to. We're not helpless, powerless victims when it comes to listening to the voice and choosing which voice we respond to. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the message last week. You can go on our website. There's a little iTunes icon in the top right. It'll take you to our podcast. Away you go. This week, I want to talk about insecurity. And rather than defining what insecurity is, you can Wikipedia that in your own time, I want to actually talk around the feeling that insecurity creates. And I'm pretty confident some of you will be able to relate to some of this this morning. And I also want to talk around the outcome that insecurity creates. Because often our insecurity is the very thing that stops us from pursuing and fulfilling our destiny. So this is a very, very, very important topic. Several years ago, Dr. Brene Brown uh, gave a TED Talk, and it's one of the most watched and listened to TED Talks in history. It went uber viral. And uh, many cases, when uh, some of the, the most prolific TED Talks go viral, the, the, the speaker is encouraged to, um, to take their uh, content and their message and, and, t- and produce it into a book. Well, Dr. Brene Brown, based on uh, actual clinical research, was talking around the idea that the way that you and I will experience wholeness in our lives is directly proportional to our willingness to live a life of vulnerability. And that one of the main roadblocks, and I read the book last year, uh, it's, it's weighty, it's written by a doctor, it's based on clinical evidence, it's not an Archie comic. Um, but some of you may benefit from it, and, I, and you know, I'll leave it to you to read the reviews on Amazon and figure out if that's something for you. But she, in her research, discovered that, that one of the, and if not the main roadblock to our willingness to live a life of vulnerability is actually that we live with a scarcity mentality that, 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 that says the words never enough, that, that I, I, I never have enough. I'll never be enough. And, and because of that, we, 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 we hide. We hide behind shame. We hide behind a, a cloak of lack. And, and that very thing prevents us from having the confidence and the willingness to live a life of vulnerability, which ultimately, therefore, prevents us from living this whole life that we can achieve. And it's encapsulated by this statement. I wonder if any of you have ever said this or heard this voice inside your head say the words, I am never blank enough. Now, I don't want you to necessarily, you know, yes, I, but what would maybe just call something out? You're allowed to talk this week. I won't tell you to punch yourself in the face. Uh, What's something that maybe you've filled that blank in with? If you've ever had this or the chatterbox say these words in your head, I am never good enough. What's another one you say good? Good enough. Tall enough. Yeah, all right. That happens in my house a lot. Yeah, I hear that one. Never tall enough. Who, what's that one? Rich. Yep, another one. 
Smart, like it. Okay, now these are all the churchy responses. I get it. You know, patient, consistent. If you're an elevate youth, they might say, I'm never awesome enough. Fair enough. Good. Like it. Language of a generation. I'm never strong enough. I want to hit this head on this morning. And I want to hit it head on from, the, from a chapter in the life of a guy named Moses. Now, Moses is a pretty famous kind of Bible character. Uh, many movies made about him, even one just recently as last year. I want to drill into that. So open your Bible apps. Let me give you a little bit of context. Moses was born as part of the, the, the Hebrew people, the nation of Israel, which were God's chosen people. But through circumstances, he was raised in Egypt. Now, at this point in history, Egypt held the Israelites in bondage. They were captives. They were, they were slaves to the nation of Egypt. And Pharaoh was the, the, the head honcho in, uh, in Egypt who was responsible for the fact the Israelites were captive to the Egyptians. Now, I'll pick this story up at that point. Moses was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west end of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God, Horeb. The angel of God appeared to him in flames of fire blazing out in the middle of the bush. Let me just push, push pause there. And by the way, this is going to be very difficult for me to preach this morning because I've got about 20 messages going in 20 different directions because there's so much stuff here. But for those of you that were around in January, does this idea of someone being a shepherd in seeming obscurity, doing a mundane thing, looking after stupid sheep, and then God calling them out despite the fact that they were seemingly in obscurity and doing things that were seemingly unimportant, does that sound familiar to anybody that was here in January? That was David's story. We talked about that in January. And the reason I'm reminding you, or for those of you that have joined us just in the last couple of weeks, letting you know that is you may think that the beginning of 2015 feels remarkably similar to 2014. Same old, same old. Same sheep, different day. I think it was David that first coined that expression. Um, and, And here's the thing. Just because it's same sheep, different day, doesn't mean God's lost your number, Right? In fact, Moses, God found him. Well, he wasn't lost in the first place because God don't lose our number. Get it? Thank you for laughing at my joke, SSDD. He looked. Moses looked. When God calls your name, look. Just a tip for free. Don't keep doing what you're doing. Drop everything. The bush was blazing away, but it didn't burn up. Moses said, what's going on here? I can't believe this. It's amazing. Why doesn't the bush burn up? Fair enough question, right? Well, God saw that he stopped to look. That's good. See, what if he hadn't stopped to look? Bit busy, God. You know, got things to do. Rush, rush, busy, busy. All right. See ya. That's the end of the story. Don't be too busy for when God calls your name. Well, God saw that he'd looked. God called him to, from out of the bush. God called to him from out of the bush. Moses, Moses, here we go again. When God says your name twice, let me tell you, I said it last week, you're either in big trouble or he's about to invite you to something pretty incredible. Moses, Moses. No, Moses, Moses. He said, yeah, I'm right here. Like, that's like, you know, as if God didn't know that. No, really. 
God said, don't come any closer. Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. Too often we take God and his presence with contempt. And I think it's incredibly insulting to him. He's God. Remove your sandals from your feet. You're standing on holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. And God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. And I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. And I know all about their pain. God knows all about your pain. Now, by the way, he allowed it to continue up to this point. But didn't mean he didn't know about it. Didn't mean he wasn't going to do something about it in his time. And now I've come down to help them. Pry them loose from the grip of Egypt, get them out of that country, and bring them to the good land with wide open spaces, a land lush with milk and honey. The land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Pezite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now, those are all enemies of Israel. Last year, we taught around a letter that a dude, big early church heavyweight named Paul, wrote to a place called Ephesus, a church there. And he talked about the promises of God, but he made sure they understood that where there's, where there's promises, there's also problems. Where there's milk and honey, there's also enemies that we have to overcome before we get to possess the land. Don't think that the enemy, the chatterbox, the devil's just going to step back while we walk down the red carpet into the promised land. No. God, in, God invites us, God equips us, but there's still battles that we're going to have to fight along the way. And in our instant quick fix, just add water, stir, put it in the microwave and eat society, we sometimes don't appreciate this. We sometimes don't develop the character and the patience and the, and the endurance that will be required. And sometimes we quit before God quits. And we don't enter the promised land. Anyway, I'm not preaching about that this morning. It's time for you to go back, meaning back to your people, the Israelites. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, you would think that given what Moses just experienced, that he would be standing there thinking, cool, like, Wow, like, I mean, the burning bush trick, that was cool. Plus it was God, plus of all the people he could have given this assignment to, because Moses would have understood the heartbreak of the Israelites living in captivity to the Egyptians, and he's an Israelite by birth. He understood both sides of the equation. God tapped him. Oh, wow. You think he'd be like, yes, you know, give me the, print, me the, print me the business cards. Get, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm in. What's interesting is before God could deliver the others, there were several things that he had to deliver Moses from. And I want to talk about them this morning. Because Moses' response wasn't the one that, you know, I would have thought. Moses answered God, but why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, I think you've got the wrong guy. I mean, I know you're like, you know, all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite, but, but on this one thing, I think you've got the wrong guy. As if God's going, yeah, actually, so, sorry, <laughs> stupid me. Carry on, Moses, I'll get the next guy. So why was Moses cropping himself out? I'm going to take a little bit of a liberty this morning, and I'm going to put some words in Moses' head. The, the, these words don't appear... But, but, but I wonder if this, 
these words, and I'm going to give like three little phrases, maybe just encapsulate a little bit of what was going on under the hood for Moses as to why he said, why me? I, I don't think I'm the, the right guy. Uh, and these three phrases, the reason I'm putting them out there is I, I wonder, I want you to listen closely whether you've ever thought these, whether the chatterbox has ever said any of these in order to block you from achieving your destiny. God, I'm so dysfunctional. So as far as choosing me goes, no, I'm out. Possibly, if this was what Moses was thinking, it's because of something that had happened in his recent past. See, Moses, if you rewind to the previous chapter in this book of Exodus, Moses was brought up as an Egyptian, but he was born as an Israelite, a Hebrew. And uh, Moses saw something that was not kosher. And instead of consulting God about it, first, for some wisdom and direction, Moses decided to take things into his own hands. Ever been guilty of that crime? Ever? How'd that go for you? Well, let me tell you how it went for Moses. Time passed. Moses grew up. One day, he went and saw his brothers, saw all that hard labor. These were the Israelites that were in captivity. He was living with the Egyptians, but he wasn't a slave. And then he saw an Egyptian hit a Hebrew, one of his relatives. He looked this way and that. When he realized there was no one in sight, he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And the next day, he went out there again. This time, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he spoke to the man who started it. Why are you hitting your neighbor? The man shot back. Who do you think you are telling us what to do? Are you going to kill me the way that you killed that Egyptian? Insert sprung. And then Moses panicked. Whoa, word's gotten out. People know about this. Pharaoh heard about and tried to kill Moses, but Moses got away to the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. See, Moses is a murderer. And despite the fact that Moses had recently murdered, God chose him. God tapped him. See, and he's saying, nah, I'm so dysfunctional. I can't do it. As soon as God gives you an assignment, the chatterbox will start reminding you of all the things you've done in the past, of all the things that have happened to you in the past, of all of the things that you've experienced in the past, of all of the things you've been exposed to in the past, and stacking them up line upon line upon line, reminder upon reminder upon reminder of why all of those are reasons that you cannot possibly be called by God. You could not possibly be given an assignment by God. And even if you were given it, you couldn't possibly do it because you're so dysfunctional. Chatter is often fueled by our past experiences. The enemy will use your history to fuel your insecurity. But we need to understand what we have done in the past is not who we are. It is what we've done, but it's not who we are. And we certainly shouldn't allow it to define our future. But the chatterbox will be in our ear. You, used by God, you're a murderer. <laughs> now, what's interesting is uh, God, uh, Moses actually wasn't pushing back on God and questioning God's ability. 
God, I bet you can't deliver the, the, the nation of Israel from the Hebrews, he, from the Egyptians. He, he, he was questioning whether he was the right person for the job. Another interesting observation, interesting to me, is, is, is the chatterbox. He doesn't say, you're so dysfunctional. The voice we hear is almost always first person. I'm so dysfunctional. <laughs> Why is that? I think because if it was, if it was you're so dysfunctional, we, we could, it would be easier to engage in, in, a, in a stoush, easier to push back on. Mark, you're so dysfunctional. Think about your past. No way God could use you. Oh, yeah? Let me tell you something, pal. Like, it's easy. Get up in my grill. I'll push back harder. But when we hear this voice in first person, I'm so dysfunctional, how do you argue with that? The devil is trying to convince us it's, it's us saying that, but it's not, it's him. I also think, in my observation, 20 years in church leadership is a lot of people crop themselves out, not just about the stuff they've done in the past before they started following Jesus. I've got a list. There's a long list of stupid stuff I did before I started following Jesus. But some of us crop ourselves out because of the stuff we have done since we started following Jesus. Because, you know, when you start following Jesus, everything's meant to work out, you know, unicorns and rainbows. But it doesn't. We keep doing some stupid stuff. Some of you may be cropping yourself out right now, entering 2015, a sense that God's calling you to step it up this year following Him. And you're thinking, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm using all my horsepower just to just to stop doing some of the dumb stuff I was doing last year. Well, you know what? That's the chatterbox. Now, even if some of us think we're worthy, even if Moses thought himself somehow worthy, another thing that can crop us out is questioning our lack of ability. Okay, maybe I'm worthy. Maybe God, he knows my past and, and he's willing to forgive me of it and, and, and call me anyway. But then we maybe crop ourselves out by saying, I'm so deficient. Let me fill in the story uh, since the burning bush episode. So God's called Moses from a burning bush. Pretty cool. Um, Moses, is, he, he's, 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 he's thinking about it. <laughs> when God calls you to do something, don't think about it. Just say yes. Right? Anyway, but that's not what Moses did. Moses like, yeah, all right. Look, listen, God. Throw me a bone here. If I was to take on this assignment of going back to, to my people, the Israelites, the people of my, of my birth, and, and go to them and say, God's called me to lead you out uh, of Egypt, and, 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 and then to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, God's telling you, let my people go. Uh, what if they don't believe that you've sent me? What if they, what, how am I going to prove to these people that you've actually given me this assignment? Even if, even if I've got the faith, what if other people don't have the faith? What if they don't respond? God goes, oh, all right, all right, okay. I've thought about that. Uh, he asks Moses the question, what's in your hand? When God gives us an assignment, the starting place is the question, what's in your hand? 
You might need to gather some things along the way. You might need to grow your ability. You might need to grow your faith. You might need to grow your character. But the starting point is, what's in your hand? What are we starting with? What have you got? Well, Moses was a shepherd, so he had a shepherd's staff, a, shepherd, a shepherd's stick in his hand. And, and, and Moses, so Moses goes, a stick? You know, he's like, again, God, he's hilarious. Ask rhetorical questions. Hey, Moses, what's that in your hand? As if God didn't know. Moses goes, well, actually, God, it's a stick. Wow, a stick. Anyway, so it's a stick. And God goes, all right, throw the stick on the ground. So he throws the stick on the ground and the stick becomes a snake. It's like, how cool is that? Party trick of the year, right? And then, and then, this is one of the most ridiculous things I've read in the entire Bible. God says to Moses, now pick it up. Like, no, you pick it up. And he picked it up and it became a stick again. Oh, oh, phew. And then snake, stick. Snake, stick. That's like, awesome. But Moses, that's not really going to be enough, God. I mean, I think that's pretty flippant enough. But no, it's not going to be enough, God. What else you got? All right. Tell you what. Not only what's in your hand, take your hand, put it inside your tunic. All right. Like, what, am I Napoleon Bonaparte all of a sudden? Put it inside your tunic and then take it out. Took it out, white like snow, covered in leprosy. Yeah, oh. Okay, now put it back in your thing. All right. Now take it out. Healed again. <laughs> That's awesome. Moses goes, yeah, what else you got, God? Come on. God says, all right, go down to the, I want you to go down to the River Nile. That's uh, flowing with water. And when I touch it, you're to touch it. And when you touch it, it'll turn to blood. And then I want you to touch it again, and it'll turn back to water. Yeah, that'll probably do it. <laughs> but Moses, you know, even at that point, raised another objection. See, you don't want God's job. So you've got to deal with people like Moses. Moses raised another objection to God. Master, please, I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I s- stutter and stammer. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? Rhetorical question. And who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Rhetorical question. Isn't it I? God. So get going. (laughs) Like enough of your excuses, Moses. I've called you. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. Get going. And I'll be right there with you. With your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. Moses may be thinking, I'm so deficient. Being aware of our deficiencies doesn't crop us out from being used by God. In fact, I think it qualifies us even more because it will cause us to lean even more into God because we realize we can't do it all in our own strength. And there's a much higher probability of God getting the glory because your friends will look at you and go, no way you could have pulled that off by yourself. And you go, I know. I did my bit, and God made up the deficiency. When you doubt the product, it insults the manufacturer. So now you'd think Moses was about to get going, right? He's got the snake, the stick, the, the leprosy, the, the, the turn the, 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 the river into blood and back again, and and God's promised he'll go with him and make up the deficiency. And so, so you go, okay, Moses, he's about to saddle up. Then Moses said, uh, oh, master, please send someone else. 
Oh, what a colossal waste of time that whole dialogue was. You know, maybe Moses is thinking, I'm so doubtful. You ever had the chatterbox between your two ears saying that I'm so doubtful? Well, fair enough, God got angry with Moses. I think it's pretty impressive it took God this long, but anyway. Don't you have a brother, Aaron the Levite? He's good with words. I know he is. He speaks very well. In fact, at this very moment, he's on his way to meet you. And when he sees you, he's going to be glad. You'll speak to him and tell him what to say. I'll be right there with you as you speak and with him as he speaks, teaching you step by step. I've said this many, many times, and I'll say it again right here. What always precedes how? God told Moses what he wanted to do, but even up to this point, he still hasn't told him how. But he wants Moses to get going and promises that as Moses get going, God will get showing. Step by step. He'll speak to the people for you. He'll act as your mouth, but you'll decide what comes out of it. Now, God, now take this staff in your hand. You'll use it to do the signs. I said this before. I'll say it again. Nowhere in this whole dialogue does Moses ever once doubt God's ability to do this, to deliver his people. Right? We talk a lot about faith here. We teach a lot about faith. We, we, we do believe that faith is something that can grow. That our faith in God is something that can grow. And there's things that God calls us to. There's assignments that he gives to us that we are going to need to trust him at new levels. That's faith. That's faith growing. But there's a whole other thing going on. And this whole other thing is not doubting God's ability to pull the assignment off, but actually doubting our ability to pull it off. And even though we think God can do it, too often we don't think we can do it. And on that basis alone, we step back from our destiny. Then Moses said to God, all right, hypothetical, God. Just humor me on this one. Suppose, I, I love it. I, I said, I'll be with you. I said, your brother's going to come along and I'll tell you what to say and you tell him what to say and he's a good speaker. All right, God. Suppose I do <laughs> go to the people of Israel and I tell them, the God of your fathers sent me to you. And if I do this, just supposing, and they ask me, what's his name? Now, this is, all, this is happening. This is still the bush, right? This, this, this conversation, it's still Moses talking, having a dialogue with a burning bush, right? Now, this is the part, the, the part in your history where you hope nobody's watching. I mean, they're impressed with a burning bush, just like you are, but they don't quite understand why you're talking to it instead of getting a bucket of water and putting it out. So Moses says to the bush, I'll tell them the God of your fathers sent me to you. What if they ask me, what's his name? What what do I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Just a second, God, you you, you cut out there. 
the, the flames are crackling a bit too much. I, I didn't get all of that. I got the bit where you said, I am who I am. What's the rest of the sentence? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am who I am. I got that bit. What's the rest of the sentence? Moses, that's the sentence. They'll ask you, who sent you? You're to say to them, I am sent me. As if he's already not questioning his sanity enough, the fact that he's having a conversation with a flippant burning bush without shoes on. Now the best God can do to cover him is tell them, I am sent you. God, continue with Moses. This is what you just said to the Israelites. God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob sent me to you. This has always been my name, and this is how I will always be known. This last two sentences is the critical puzzle piece here. This is what you're to tell them. God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob sent me to you. The God who was sent you. And this has always been my name, and this is how I will always be known. The God who will be sent you. And then there's this bit in the middle, which theologians call the isness of God. I am the God who was, I am the God who will be, and right now in this situation, I am the God that I am. When you find the chatterbox saying to you, I am not strong enough, I am not smart enough, I am not confident enough, I am not experienced enough, we have a God who says, yeah, I know, I am. I'm not strong enough, I know, I am. I'm not smart enough, I know, I am. I'm not confident enough, I know, I am. I'm not experienced enough, experience, I know, I am. The isness of God. God sends us and calls us and, and points us and says, take the steps. And as you take the steps, even if you think you're deficient, even if you think you're dysfunctional, even if you think there are reasons that you cannot do it, God says, I know, I am. In that situation, whatever your lack is, God says, I know, you're not. But guess what? I am. Moses thought he hadn't finished the whole sentence. That's all you need to know. When you don't have it, I am. The isness of God. See, now some of you are theologians because you understand the isness of God. You aren't. He is. I am. You're following? All right. Well, that was my introduction. Now, <clears throat> I promised you last week I wasn't going to preach my brains out, but I don't know. It's pretty good stuff. I've had a request from the front row to keep going. I, I will honor that request, but not today. <laughs> um. I'll give you a preview, and then I've got a question to ask some of you. 
the preview, and Pete, I'm stealing your material, but next week I'm going to be teaching about the chatterbox who, se- who, who tells us that the promises of God, even if we think we've heard them and are real, that he'll be up in our business telling us that they're not going to happen, at least not for you. Yeah, I know you read the books. I know you've got friends that are all, you know, faith, you know, got the t-shirt, and, but not you. Uh-uh. I'll teach you about that next week. I don't know if that applies to anybody here. If it does be here, if it does apply to someone you know, bring them as well. Our goal when we teach here is to teach stuff that's helpful, not just stuff that's interesting. So it's not a board game. It's not about going on family feud and impressing Grant Dania with the isness of God. Let me ask one more question, and then I'll hand over to Pete. Uh, we ask this question every week, and, and it's an incredibly important question. It's the most important question you'll ever have to consider, and it's the question of whether you want to have a relationship with God, whether you want to be in a relationship with God. He wants to be in a relationship with you. That's the great news. So much so that he sent his son Jesus 2,000 years ago to actually die in our place, to restore the relationship, to build a bridge, if you like, back to God. And having done that, however, it still requires us to make a decision to say, yeah, I will actually say yes to that relationship with God. I'll actually turn and face Him and start that relationship. We're giving you that opportunity right now. For those of you that have never actually started a relationship with God, right now I want to give you that opportunity. All I want you to do, if you know that that right now, this morning, is your time to start a relationship with God, I just want you to slip your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. You're just putting your hand up saying, God, yeah, that's me. I want to start a relationship with you this morning. When I see your hand, you can put it down, and then we're going to quickly pray. Just looking across our auditorium. I don't want to miss anybody. If you know that's your decision to make this morning, just quickly slip your hand up, and then you can put it down. 